Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, welcome to the podcast. As I record this podcast, it is the 5th of September, 2021. So, at the moment, the big story in the news has been, continues to be the uh, disastrous pullout of Afghanistan. And that was uh, conceived and planned by uh, our Pentagon, our uh, Foreign Service advisors to President Biden and President Biden. And so, just to review, um, so two weeks ago in. Uh, well, what can only be called a disastrous uh, attempt to pull out of the uh, country of Afghanistan after being there for nearly 20 years. Um, President Biden decided to uh, eschew the advice of the previous administration, which had planned to leave that country on May 1st. So that would be before the fighting season starts in Afghanistan, which roughly runs roughly from May uh, or the beginning of spring in that country to October. So to the beginning of the cold weather and snow. Uh, For obvious reasons, uh, Afghanistan is basically a mountainous high desert country. It's uh, very warm in the summer and very cold in the winter and you get a lot of snow uh, and of course most of the country is in the mountains so you get most snow and uh, a lot of the country remains above the snow line until at least April or May and so they have a what they call the fighting season which runs roughly from May to October and it's mainly due to weather reasons Right. And then uh, when the weather starts getting bad, when the snows comes, uh, it had been the case where the Taliban fighters would retreat to the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. So that was the original plan to do the pullout then when there would not be as many Taliban troops in the country. But uh, Biden, in his ultimate wisdom, decided to move the pullout date to the middle of the fighting season when you would have the maximum number of Taliban fighters um, in the country actually engaging in in warfare and fighting. So that was the first thing. And then uh, one, one of the things that he did, which I think will go down in history as a major strategic blunder will be um, when we gave up uh, Bagram Air Base. Bagram Air Base is the main air base in the country. It's where virtually all uh, NATO, American, and allied forces flow into the countries, into Afghanistan from. They all come in through Bagram Air Base. 
Falcomer base is surrounded on several sides with mountains. It's partially ringed by mountains. Uh, it's, and it's so it's easily defensible, you know, as long as you control the high ground around it. Um, and there's limited uh, methods of entrance, egress, and access in, in and out of the area. So otherwise, it's fairly um, inaccessible except for aircraft. So it, it's a pretty defensible air base. It was built by the Soviets when they invaded back in, I think, 1980. And uh, of course, it was constantly improved upon in the 20 years, nearly 20 years, that American and Allied troops were there. Until finally, it's basically one of the best air bases in that part of the world. And so we gave it up, uh, despite uh, it being more defensible. Um, Bagram Air Base is in the middle of the mountains. It's a very rural part of the country. All of Afghanistan is basically rural, but this is the rural part of a rural country. So, uh, which is important because if you had any problems, um, if you had an attack, you could launch artillery strikes or uh, air-to-ground strikes against Taliban or other enemy positions, and you could do it with without too much worry. Uh, uh, casualties of civilian casualties of um, collateral damages and of course you know we knew every inch of the, of the base and the surrounding area we already had uh, plans to defend it so it was a highly defensible area which we gave up in favor of using a airport in Kabul uh, with one runway, very small airport, uh, in the middle of a highly populated urban area. Of course, Kabul, of course, being the capital of Afghanistan. And so, if any problems arise as the Taliban you know, took over um, Kabul, um, it's hard to defend against it. You're limited in the way you can defend against uh, an incursion into Kabul. Um, you can't do it without uh, doing a, a tremendous amount of collateral damage and uh, damage to civilian targets and to civilian personnel. And so you have that built-in thing where basically anything you do, uh, it, it makes it very hard to defend against attacks. Even when we had the, uh, when there were the terrorists hit one of the gates at the Kabul airport, uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport, um, terrorists did a coordinated attack against one of the gates. Um, apparently there was a predator drone, or some U.S. drone in the area, which could have attacked the Taliban um, apparently, um, the drone was told to stand down, so 
at least this is coming from some unconfirmed reports, but uh, various sources in news media. And so if that if that was the case, then I think what would happen is that there would have been too much fear of collateral damage. Uh, you know, if you're going to launch a, like a Hellfire missile from the Predator drone, you know, you're going to kill probably more than just the terrorist, the, the um, suicide bomber. And of course, that suicide bomber, unfortunately, was effective in killing 13 U.S. personnel and 100 or so uh, Afghan nationals. And so, and a large part of that was due, one would assume, um, for fear of collateral damage against civilians in that case. And um, where it may not have been the case, I mean, we would never know, but it possibly would not have been the case. It would have been harder, probably, to get a suicide bomber into that close to the, the airport whether it could interfere with the, the relief operations. So you have that. And then, of course, most of you have probably seen the f footage of people trying to jump on a moving airplane, um, see at least one person falling to their death from an airplane already in the air, taking off from Kabul. And that set off a firestorm, that horrendous scene, and others like it, um, set off a firestorm of criticism. Um, what we have now, so let me go into where we are now, um, that we pretty much caught you up to where we are. Um, as, as I give you this information, the president has declared in the speech that the Afghanistan war is over. I don't know if anybody told the Taliban about that, but um, I don't think that, you know, we're just going to, they're just going to stop uh, fighting any American they see uh, who may be trying to, to flee the country or any uh, allied Afghan person, you know, anybody who fought against our troops. Or, or alongside our troops. Um, I don't think the, the Afghan war has ended for those people. But the president said the Afghan war is over and we are out. Currently, we have, and I'll go into this later, about some estimates are from 100 to 200 people we don't actually know for sure, but that's what the White House is saying. And so let's, let's go into now that some of the um, particular problems that our exit has created. Okay. Uh, first thing is provide our enemies with a tremendous windfall in advanced armament. Uh, some of you may have seen uh, Taliban soldiers uh, geared up in American army gear, uh, complete with NVGs and uh, American uh, rifles on their backs, going through the 
the uh, airport in, in Kabul, and they look exactly like uh, American soldiers, which creates a problem. If we ever have to go back in there, we could be fighting people dressed exactly like our soldiers. So, uh, if nothing else that creates a problem, we may have to redesign our BDUs, our, our ACUs, you know, our, our camouflage outfits to uh, not look like what the uh, Taliban now wear. So, if nothing else, that creates a logistic problem. And now we have to change our um, our our camouflage um, pattern on our uniforms. But I think that's the least of our problems. But may may pop up soon. I, mean, I kind of say it in jest, but um, it actually could potentially be a problem I mean, if we ever have to go back there seeing people dressed up as American military. Uh, what else happened? What else? We, lo we left billions of dollars worth of equipment there. And so now I'm going to read from you a portion of an article from the New York Post uh, that describes um, some of the things that we left behind. Uh, it says... The Taliban has seized U.S. weapons left in Afghanistan worth billions, possibly including 600,000 assault rifles, some 2,000 armored vehicles, and 40 aircraft, including Blackhawks, according to reports. The U.S. gave the Afghan military an estimated $28 billion in weaponry between 102 and 2002 and 2017, including seven brand new helicopters delivered to Kabul just a month ago. The war chest also included a supply of at least 600,000 infantry weapons, including M16 assault rifles, as well as 162,000 pieces of communication equipment and 16,000 night vision goggles. In just two years, from 2017 to 2019, the U.S. gave 7,335 machine guns, 4,702 Humvees, 20,040 hand grenades, 2,520 bombs, and 1,394 grenade launchers, the Hill noted, citing a report last year from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, SIGAR. Everything that has been destroyed is the Taliban's now. One U.S. official told Reuters, speaking on the condition of Anamini, uh, and this is an expert from New York Post article entitled, Taliban has billions in U.S. weapons, including Black Hawks, and up to 600,000 rifles. And of course, it's easy to see why this is a problem. Um, you know, imagine um, if in World War II uh, Patton suddenly deserted uh, Sicily and left all of the American munitions behind. This would be some something around that um, catastrophic level. 
and also um, you know, people say that you know well the the Taliban have had no air force they have no pilots they have no people who can fly these planes so they're useful they're useless to the Taliban but that's not true first of all they can teach people how to use them um, what I would expect to has happened is well one thing that's going to happen is they know apparently who we taught how to fly these aircraft and now they have a list to go by and they can find these people basically tell them you know fly or die or teach our Taliban how to fly or die so now you have a lot of people who formerly flew for the Afghan National Army now being flying for the the uh, Taliban terrorist army or being flight instructors and then of course uh, whatever they can't use themselves they can sell they can sell to countries like China and uh, so or the uh, Russia and of course the Chinese and the Russians would just love to get their hands on uh, working models of uh, Black Hawk helicopters and all the technology that they possess they love to be able to do that so they can recreate this technology and potentially use against it against us or against their allies and what else does that do uh, kind of like in Korea and Vietnam where the communists had advisors from other communist countries um, for like from like Soviet Union or Communist China um, they would have advisors and, and you know they you would have Soviets flying the planes or Chinese um, in some cases or they would act as advisors and so what will probably wind up happening is one of those countries or both will be invited to Afghanistan and you'll they'll have team advisors uh, teaching uh, Taliban uh, fighters how to fly our advanced weaponry our advanced Black Hawk helicopters and so there you go we've ha handed um, a tremendous amount of arms and munitions to people who were only uh, too happy to kill us um, luckily you know they didn't they weren't killing Americans you know no American died in previous 18 months until last week or so when the 13 Americans died in the terrorist attack but before that we had gone 18 months but before that they were killing us when you know whenever they could because we were fighting along the Afghan National Army um, or providing or providing direct support for the Afghan military or the Afghan police so there were plenty of allied and American forces in harm's way um, and now uh, if we have to go back in there for any reason which it's easy to foresee a reason that eventually we'll have to come back I predict we will 
we have to have to come back we'll be facing our own um our own weaponry you know we'll, we'll potentially have a american servicemen and women being killed by american weapons or weapons that were bought and paid for by the american taxpayer so it's easy to see how that in and of itself is a problem but also uh, this creates a potential hostage situation that could dwarf the Iran hostage crisis of 1979. So, for those of you who may not uh, may not remember, uh, 1979, Iranian militants took over the American embassy in Tehran and held uh, Americans for 444 days. This was during course the, the uh, Carter administration and that basically made Carter a one-term president well that and the stagflation that he uh, ruled over um, so this killed his ability to really conduct uh, a lot of foreign policy because you know when you know you have uh, hostages, particularly um, in this case, in the, in the case of Iran, we had like 50 or so hostages that were held for 444 days, released only uh, upon the inauguration of uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, so, yeah, there's not much we could do in the Middle East, and of course, you know, that made us look weak, look weak to other uh, countries in the Middle East. But this situation has the potential to dwarf the Iran hostage um, situation. Um, could be several times larger because they're estimating the White House claims about between 100 and 200 Americans wanted to leave Afghanistan were left behind it's obviously that was a blunder um, President Biden said that we would stay until every American that wanted to leave um, had left the country and that's not what happened so he went back on his word there said now we could have as many as 200 American people American citizens hostage um, if, if they can't leave except for at the mercy of the Taliban or potentially uh, ISIS-K uh, whomever then they're basically they're, they're for all intents and purposes they're hostages now and of course um, back in the Iran time with the Iran hostage situation you know, we tried to free the hostages in a special ops uh, operation that uh, went awry and several uh, special operators, you know, special forces operators uh, were killed in the effort to free the American hostages in Iran. And so now you create a situation where we might have to send in 
special operations forces again put American forces in harm's way again in order to, to free these people. And of course, now we have um, independent entities, people coming in, uh, attempting to free Americans and free Christians and, and other people from Afghanistan. And of course, they, they risk being captured and making held hostage too. And so you have a huge problem there. And so what, what do we know? What can we expect to happen? Well, we have we have a clue because we know what happened um, when Iran was holding the uh, four Americans hostage there in that country for I think over a year, maybe over two years. Uh, we basically flew in literally pallets full of cash. Um, we flew them in under unmarked planes. Um, these are pallets and pallets of unmarked bills that were flown in in the dead of night. Uh, coincidentally, uh, we got our hostages back at that same time. And I think the conventional wisdom says that, you know, the same people who advised uh, then uh, President Obama uh, those same people who advised President Obama to send those pallets full of cash are still around, still advising uh, President Biden. So guess what they're going to tell him to do? Uh, more than likely, their advice is going to be to trade hostages for money. Of course, we will frame it as this is humanitarian efforts. This is uh, money that's um, going into humanitarian efforts like building wells and hospitals and buying food and medicine for the Afghan people. But of course, it will just be cover for giving the Taliban um, stacks and stacks of cash. So that's probably how they'll work it. Uh, you know, that's probably they'll show us that they learned the wrong, wrong lesson from the Iran a hostage crisis of a few years ago under Obama and they just won't send the money in in, in the dead of night uh, with pallets full of cash they won't make it that obvious and they won't have the the hostages come back on, at that same night at the same time uh, they'll be a little bit more subtle they'll do a little bit more disguise the ransom payments but it will be ransom nonetheless and of course, any uh, humanitarian assistance we give the Afghanistan government to the government um, of the Taliban, whether it was meant to or not to be bribes, it will be seen as such by both the Taliban and by our allies and both by our ad adversaries. Um, so that's something that's a huge uh, real danger America. And okay, so yeah, so I could I would almost bet money. I don't think it will be another month. Um, I, I, this is another prediction where I would love to be proved wrong. 
but I suspect, um, you know, history suggests that um, if the Taliban need something in particular, um, they'll take uh, Americans hostage. And um, that's something that we can almost count on happening, unfortunately. And again, I'd love to be proven wrong on that, but uh, history suggests I won't. Then, of course, um, there's the problem for the Afghanistan people that are left behind who are not going to leave the country. Well, they're, they're still going to be under the rule of the Taliban. And uh, so this endangers, in particular, Afghan Christians, uh, women who have just recently kind of uh, started to receive education. We have a whole generation of young Afghan women now who have more than just a rudimentary education. And uh, that's going to be a problem. That's already starting to be a problem where you, know, you have women doctors reportedly being um, told not to go to work anymore. Then, of course, um, you have under the Taliban, you know, you have groups such as the gays not being treated so well. I think it's very dangerous to be a gay person in Afghanistan nowadays. It's, it's dangerous to be a Christian too, but um, so I think you can expect um, some human rights abuses uh, in the case of the Christians probably um, genocide or an attempted genocide or ritual genocide um, and we are trying to get the Christians out a lot of people um, are still actively attempting to get Christians out it's getting harder and harder because reportedly uh, people um, the, like uh, the Nazarene project uh, for instance that's focusing their efforts on getting Christians out of Afghanistan they're not being supported at all by America's State Department so they're kind of on their own in that effort but nonetheless they've managed to get out lots of Christians um, so yeah expect a lot of human rights abuses remember these are the same people who uh, destroyed uh, 2,000 year old statues of the Buddha okay because at least at one time there was a uh, significant Buddhist population in Afghanistan and they built these colossal colossal statues in, into the mountains built right into the mountains and the Taliban uh, shut off the faces of these uh, colossal Buddha statues and they've done all sorts of just um, horrendous things to destroy uh, historically and you know, other other national treasures you know I'm talking about you know like UNESCO treasures that they've destroyed so you're going to have that so the same people who've done that obviously are going to fo be focusing on Christians and reportedly you know the Taliban are, are going to door to door checking people's cell phones to see if they have a Christian app 
you know, like a Bible app on their cell phones, and uh, supposedly they're being executed if they do. But uh, yeah, so it is. If you are the praying type, I think it's uh, a good idea to pray for the Christian brothers and sisters that uh, are in Afghanistan, along with all the, all the other people as well, who are in grave danger now that the Taliban have taken over. And so the other thing this does is it makes us look bad. It, it undermines our standing in the world, especially with our allies, and especially with uh, we think about things like Taiwan. Well, now you know Ta the people of Taiwan—they're basically our allies, even though they're technically we pay lip service to Taiwan being part of China. Um, we treat them. I mean, in every way that matters, Taiwan is, is its own country, um, separate from China. But we pay lip service to them being a part of communist China, people, People's Republic of China. But they are a virtual country on themselves. And uh, they're allies. We promise to, to, to defend them. They have a lot of our military hardware. Um, for use in case they're uh, invaded by mainland China. And of course, if you're the Chinese now, I think you're moving, if you had any plans to take over Taiwan, uh, you're moving up your your, your timetable uh, as far as possible, because you really almost have, you, I can't see that they have any constraints, um, any, you know, if they were on the fence about uh, invading Taiwan, whether it was wise or a decision or not, or a great dis decision, um, I think that question has been answered with the uh, calamitous fall of Kabul and our exit from Afghanistan, and the way that we basically turned our backs on our allies, um, really um, put our allies, you know, our NATO allies, like the, the Brits and the French, um, we really put them on the spot, uh, to say the least, and that un undermines our credibility. And now these people, these countries have to look for other, other alternatives to American power. If they know, if they start to believe that they can't trust America to look after their military interests or defense. So that makes them want to cut deals with countries with like uh, uh, Russia and China. You know, try and try and cut their own deals to cut to hedge from losses against being abandoned by the United States. I know a lot of the British, particular, are livid at we what we've done there. Basically, we left them hanging. You know, they were uh, interested in staying, uh, keeping on the Afghan mission there, um, such as it was. Obviously, you can't really have an effective uh, fighting force there without the Americans, but they were interested in staying and uh, basically left without giving them much, if any, warning. And 
our, our British allies are livid. Um, so I'm reading from this piece that was in, printed in The Guardian. Um, let's see, it was the uh, Guardian, an article in The Guardian from 17 August uh, entitled uh, UK politicians decry, decry Joe Biden's defense of Afghanistan pullout. So you remember uh, a couple of days after this whole debacle started that uh, President Biden went and uh, did a, a, um, a press conference or a speech um, defining, you know, talking about the uh, pull out of Afghanistan and trying to smooth over, trying to spin it like it was some sort of success and was necessary. But um, the, to say the least, the uh, British, a lot of the British were not happy with the way we left. And uh, so this article from the, the Guardian uh, states that several MPs said constituents, particularly former service personnel, had been in contact with heart-rendering stories of friends and former colleagues in Afghanistan who now were who were now in immediate danger uh, piling pressure on the government to act faster to help save them Tom Tugendhat Tugendhat spelling who chairs the foreign affairs select committee said he was extremely angry at Britain's criticism of Afghan soldiers calling those troops incredibly brave and saying the U.S. withdrawal withdrew like a thief in the night with no proper handover. The former Treasury Minister Hugh Miriam, who chairs the Transport Select Committee, called Biden a total blithering idiot for blaming Afghan forces. Makes me wonder if he is the Siamese twin of Donald Trump. Tony Blair left us with this mess and we did not try hard enough to clear it up, he tweeted. Another formal, former Mr. Simon Clark said it was the end of an American era. The more you reflect, the more you realize speech Biden gave last night was grotesque an utter repudiation of the America so many of us have admired so deeply all of our lives the champion of liberty and democracy and the guardian of what's right in the world he said and this is again an excerpt from the guardian uh, from 17 August 2021 and so there you have it I mean um, the British were not feel like they were not properly consulted on this decision. They feel like it was done precipitously. Uh, and of course, we left a lot of their uh, people stranded as well. They had people there as well. Um, but unlike us, they sent their special forces into Kabul uh, to retrieve their uh, British citizens. 
that's something America did not do um, from, during the pullout of Kabul. And so this is really, um, there's, there's really no way to put a good face on it. Uh, we basically, uh, this is basically a slap in the face of, to our allies who are counting on us to do the right thing with regards to Afghanistan and by their countries and by their citizens and they feel like we didn't do it and uh, of course we I'd have to agree um, let me just read reread this one quote from this one uh, British uh, I guess member of Parliament the more you reflect, the more you realize the speech Biden gave last night was grotesque and other repudiation of the America so many of us have admired so deeply all of our lives. Champions of liberty and democracy and the guardian of what's right in the world, he said. And so if anybody wants to doubt the idea of American exceptionalism, well, here we have um, the uh, member of parliament lamenting our abandonment of the concept of American exceptionalism. And so it kind of uh, proves that there is or was an American exceptionalism by its absence. So knowing when uh, America is not acting as an exceptional nation uh, above and beyond what other nations are capable of, uh, when we fail to do that, um, it's, it's by the absence of our practicing American exceptionalism that proves that American exceptionalism was actually a real thing so i hope that makes sense because um it's just sometimes that there are things that can be taken for granted that only by their absence is their value actually truly appreciated or their existence even actually truly acknowledged um, so you know you tend not to appreciate things until You've lost it, and this is the British appreciating uh, American exceptionalism um, after they lost it, or, or after it seems that we've lost it. So, to those who would argue there's no such thing as American exceptionalism, I would read them that quote and uh, say, yeah, what that person believed in why he believed what he did while we were why we were the quote champion of liberty and democracy and guardian of what's right in the world why they believe that um, is because we proved that over and over again uh, but we a lot of us in Americans or some some in Americans not us necessarily but some in Americans uh, failed to see that and now in its absence its existence has been proven. Okay, that's, uh, I don't know how else to put that, but hope you understand where I'm coming from there. 
So those are major issues now. Um, just to um, to review, I mean, we provided a, a tremendous amount of arms and armaments to our enemies, which we really we can't do anything about it. Because if you think about it, because we left um, between 100 and 200 people there, we can't just bomb the hell out of, say, Bagram Airfield now and destroy all this munitions. Because what are they going to do? The that act of war, because you know the Taliban consider that their property now, and so that would probably um, they would probably retaliate by taking Americans prisoners. And so now we've kind of hamstrung our our, our foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis with the Taliban because we've left uh, potential hostages in there who can now be used as bargaining chips against us. So now it makes us hard to even go in there and, uh, and just carpet bomb Bagram or, you know, or find out where, wherever we had American munitions stored. We can't just go by and uh, carpet bomb wherever they're storing their ammunition. These ammunitions or these munitions um, so the Taliban can't use them. We can't do that. That makes it harder for us to do like a scorch earth thing, which we should have done scorch earth uh, before we left. But now we can't do it because for fear, particularly with Biden, um, who's a very fearful individual who, 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 like most on the left, designed their foreign policy uh, around fear of retaliation of our enemy rather than uh, uh, anticipation of victory against our enemies, they they concern themselves with being retaliated against. So I would not expect uh, America to go in there and carpet bomb uh, Bagram Airfield or anywhere where we have munitions stored uh, for fear that uh, that will prompt some retaliation in form of a hostage crisis by the Taliban. So, and of course, having that situation that hamstrings us in a great many of things um, to do, and that's something that they can potentially hold on, you know, hold over us for years, even decades to come, okay? Because Basically, but now you have you have a situation where it may take a pallet of cash just to take, just to take, get five to ten Americans out that we've identified, and they can. That's something that they can go to the well many times over. They can go to that same well and uh, uh, exact more and more concessions from us, exact more and more ransom from us because they have like virtually endless, endless supply of Americans. They have a huge supply of Americans, which they can now um, hold hostage. And so that hamstrings what we can do. Um, against them. And, and of course, not being there 
Um, the other thing not being there gets you is it makes it very hard to conduct counterterrorism operations in that country or anywhere in the area. So as ISIS-K evolves and Al-Qaeda comes back into the area, there's very little we can do um, against it. We would, we would pretty much have to ask permission from the Taliban. Uh, like say if they, they develop, that ISIS develops a training camp, we would probably, particularly under the Biden administration, uh, be forced, feel forced to ask permission uh, before we were to bomb like some sort of ISIS encampment inside of the country. So we're just hamstring, hamstrung ourselves all sorts of ways. And they talk about these over-horizon missions that we can still do. Basically what they're talking about is mainly predator drones, but in some cases fighters or bombers, but mainly predators, mainly drone strikes. Um, but now we've basically can operate in uh, Afghan airspace for only a fraction of the time we could when we could actually launch the drones from Afghanistan. Now we're going to be launching them from hundreds if not thousands of miles away. And now we're going to have a fraction of the operational time and capability that we used to have when we had them based there. So it's going to make our uh, ability, it's going to reduce our ability to fight uh, terrorism there and react to, to terrorist threats in there. So that's um, a lot to digest. Um, of course, what we've done to our allies, um, that's not going to go away anytime soon. And uh, I remember um, how many times maybe you yourself have seen online someone make the, making the comment that Trump has made uh, a, the United States laughing stock in the world and in Europe or something like that. Well, you know, guess what? <laughs> Now they actually have made us America the laughing stock in America. So, and it's funny, those same people who said that without any proof, without providing evidence, they just said it as if it were fact. Um, I wonder how they, they defend um, uh, Europe's and NATO's and Britain's, uh, the way they regard America now. Uh, so if they were so worried about under Trump and they had basically this uh, imaginary um, case where we were the laughing stock of America, well, I don't know, you know, maybe with among their friends, but uh, we, I, I believe we were more respected under Trump because at least he knew where he stood and he called them out when they, for things like not paying their NATO dues. Now you don't have that. Now you don't have any uh, moral high ground in which to claim uh, in order to garner uh, support for this or future operations overseas. And uh, one place that's probably going to pop up is Taiwan. I'll be interested, interesting to see what will we do there. And uh, it's just 
makes us look bad. I mean, I mean, you know, if, if nothing else, I mean, you know, you know, pride may be um, a mortal sin, but if you have any pride in America, well, you have a lot, little bit less reason to be proud of your country now. Uh, unfortunately, under Biden, uh, with this debacle in Afghanistan, so it just hurts America in so many ways. Um, and I, I think I've only touched upon some of the major problems that the Afghanistan debacle had um, for America and her allies and her, her interest abroad and for in the interest of Christians and women and gays and still in Afghanistan. You know, how many people um, will die because of this decision now? Um, and how emboldened will our adversaries overseas like China and Russia become? Because um, now they have free reign over that whole territory there to, to work with. So um, that's it. There's not too much I can add. Well, at least not today. I'm sure there's plenty more to be added in the future when we experience even more of a fallout. And I assure you, there's more fallout that's going to happen in the wake of this Afghanistan disaster. And hopefully you will tune into this podcast and uh, I'll be able to enlighten you on those things as well. Uh, gives me no pleasure to say that, but Hopefully, um, you know, since you, since it's, it's useful to know these things, it's, it's useful to know what's going on in the world, obviously, so that we can make decisions on who to elect as our leaders, for one thing, going forward. Maybe we will not elect leaders that um, hire the likes of General Miley and uh, Austin. Maybe we won't uh, be so quick to do these, um, you know, we'll, we'll take a little bit more consideration on the foreign policy. We won't, we won't ignore it uh, just because it's politically convenient. We won't ignore all the warning signs that have been, that, you know, have been blaring over the Bidens and his nearly 50 years in American politics. Uh, I think it was, is it um, Secretary Gates? I think said that in 40 years, Biden never made a good decision. And when it comes to foreign policy, that's, I think that's probably true. So um, let's leave it at that. And I'm sure there'll be more to talk to talk about in subject as the like I said as there's more fallout in the weeks to come so thank you for listening again listen online www.libertyrelearn.com so listen to the podcast you know access the podcast there and read um, some of the written word things I've done on libertyrelearn.com also look us up on Facebook, Liberty Relearn, and also JP Mac on uh, Parlor. So hopefully 
you um, cut a little bit out of this. Um, unfortunately, it's a subject that we have because this affects all Americans, whether you're conservative or not. This is going to ha have an effect on all of us uh, in the not too distant future. So, thanks for listening and hope uh, you'll tune in again next week and I hope you'll tune in to some of the previous podcasts that maybe you have missed. Maybe this is your first time. I suggest listening to a series I did uh, starting about a month ago, about six weeks ago. I started a series of three episodes that basically went over all of the major subjects that uh, have been covered through the entire span of this podcast. So uh, look up um, those uh, lessons learned. Uh, forget, forget the exact title, but basically it's um, going over the lessons uh, we've learned so far on libertyrelearn.com and, and Liberty Relearn, the podcast. So thanks again. And in the meantime, stay healthy and happy and free.